Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, go vote. If you live in America, go vote. I'm not even going to do a cute intro, cutie, tootie thing here. Just vote, please. This episode is coming out October 26th, 2020, and the November 3rd election is right around the corner. And if you are listening to this at any other point in time, or you live in any other country that's not America, you should still vote whenever you can and make sure you're registered and do it because it's important no matter where you are. I hope that wherever you live, your voice and vote matters. And if you're in America and it's before November 3rd, 2020, just get out and vote. Uh, anyway, let's get into the, the next episode of this podcast. Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, just from a programming perspective, after this episode, we'll be taking a little break from the Fantastic Beasts book where we're going to have an intermission, if you will, of an interview with some folks from Starkid. I am not going to reveal who just yet so that there is some building of suspense, but I just wanted to let you all know that there will be a slight break before we continue the final two parts of covering the Fantastic Beasts spinoff book. The next two guests will be co-hosts for MuggleCast. Woohoo! But get ready for that interview. It's going to be a good time. The only other thing I'm going to say in this intro is reiterating what I said at the very beginning, and I'm going to say, please go out there and vote. You can go to vote.gov to figure out where you can vote, where you can go to early vote, where you can drop off your ballots. It's incredibly important, especially in America right now. Now, this election is some important stuff, and I'm just going to cut through all the awkwardness and say I'm voting for Joe Biden, and I'm not very happy about it, but I am doing it. Do I wish the system was better? Yes. Do I wish there was a candidate I actually felt passionately towards that I could vote for? Of course. But unfortunately, that's just not how our system works right now. One option, Donald Trump, is absolutely horrible, and the other option, Joe Biden, is at least not a step in the worst possible direction, and we can work to try to get this man to get us closer to a more ideal situation. Again, not super stoked about voting for him, but many people will be in a very bad situation if Donald Trump wins, so I'm not letting that happen. And if you're still not motivated enough to vote because you think your vote doesn't matter or Biden doesn't really excite you or you're not as scared of Trump as I am, you should know that your vote does matter because it's not just the presidential election. There's also Senate seats up for grabs and there's a lot of tight races in many states throughout the entire United States and you should all vote because you don't want to look back and think, Ah, we were so close. There's a lot of really close races and a lot of people who are up for re-election that shouldn't keep their jobs. And there's some new exciting candidates that I think will do a lot of good. So I highly encourage you all to vote. I know it might be hard because of work situations or long lines, but there's many different ways that you can try to mitigate this. Your employer should let you vote. They have to let you vote, even if it's a really long line situation. There are some states where you can go up and just get an absentee ballot and fill it out and drop it off and not have to wait in the line. So do your research and figure out the easiest way for you to vote and then please go do that. If you're doing absentee ballots, make sure you're following all the instructions. You're using the security envelopes and the secrecy envelopes properly. You're making sure your signature matches all of the steps to make sure your vote is actually counted. And again, you can figure out all the information that you need at vote.gov. And I'd also like to thank the newest members of our team over at patreon.com slash Potterlist that are helping to keep this podcast running. So shout out to Sasha Daniels, Corinne Marino, Zach Basaw, Caleb Denicor, who is the guest on today's episode, Kui Bono, Chantel Spaeth, Tim Ten Have, Catherine Odgers, Rebecca L., Teresa Cast, Taylor Roberts, Inbar Galpert, and the return of Patricia Cologne. Shout out to Violet Weasley, who upgraded their pledge, and a huge shout out to Tatiana Schmidtova, who upgraded to the producer level status, as well as our newest producer level patron, Nina Cam. They join the ranks of Vicky, Christine, Aaron, Clow, Marchismo, Samantha, Juan, Rosemary, Marie, Lisa, Romina, Audra, Elnor, Nikita, Rachel, Zachary, Alex, John, Noel, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Mark, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Noelia, Nikki, Kine, Amanda, Kafir, Sarah, Marta, Maya, Flor, Georgia, Skyla, Adele, Professor, Threat, Ellie, Michael, Kelly, Kerry, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Marcos, Marik, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny, Heather, Kevin, Lori, Jarl, Pita, Janin, Callahan, Leah, Melissa, Bella, Melanie, Becca, Reese, Adam, Joseph, Lily's mom, Madison, Tonk, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, Matt, Okan. 
Kamehime, Boney Pony, Kelsey, Rike, Taylor, Megan, Riley, Laurel, Rossan, Erica, Miranda, Landon, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Sandra, Craig, Lior, Demi, Michelle, Callista, Jennifer, Henrique, Jeremy, Delkis, Katrina, Jerrica, Casey, Megan, Sot, Jack, Sophia, Dane, Kirsty, Robin, Chick, Mermaid, Daddykins, Alaria, Lori, Gregory, Stan, Kaka, Nina, Ribbon, Brittany, Ashley, Ravenclaw, Gavin, Jack, Serenity, Emily, Haley, Sabrina, Sean, Jenna, Laura, Mazeltov, Eileen, Annette, Kirsten, Hufflepuff, Brett, Hunter, Mary, Artemis, Trans people or people, Samantha, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Who never put a glass of water on the floor near the couch and then think to themselves, I probably shouldn't do this because I might kick it over. I'm not going to kick it over. And then 10 minutes later, kick it over and spill water everywhere. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus content like bonus episodes, me and Johnny are putting up a new maturity corner about the Fantastic Beasts movie, the first one. You can check that out. There's also director's commentary and monthly live streams and exclusive merchandise and more. All of that lives at patreon.com slash potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 148 of Potterless, covering the next portion of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the spinoff book, guest starring Caleb Denicorn. Hello, Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 28-year-old man who never read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult, and now he is reading more Harry Potter books. He's doing extra credit. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm Necroman, and I'm here joined today again by someone who has experience with zoology, content creation, and ultimate frisbee on the national scale, the three things most important to being a qualified guest on this. It is Caleb Denicor. Caleb, how's it going? It's going great. It's been a wonderful week since we spoke. It's definitely not been two days. It's been a full week, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. That's how podcasting works is we recorded this and post it the second anytime someone clicks play. (laughs) Exactly. Just on call at all times. It's impressive (laughs) that you actually can verbatim remember every word you've spoken throughout the podcast and each click you can just start going. Look, it's a tough job, but someone's got to do it. (laughs) So we last time barely got into actually talking about the titular beasts in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the spinoff book. We spent so much time yelling about the basilisk, which I think was the correct decision, but I say we just get right into it and continue through this alphabetical list of beasts where we left off, which would be the billywig. So before we we get into the billywig, I actually do have a question for you. All right. You you talk a lot about solving mysteries, right? And like referencing Scooby-Doo throughout the podcast. I'm roughly around, I think, episode 92 in my listen through. Has there ever been like, any fan art, anything like that of like you and your guests as the gang, like the the actual gang, because like wow. you go by Shubes and then you love Voldemort as Voldy, right? So why wouldn't you be Shuby? Uh. There's definitely a thing here where like you could even have a theme song going. It could be like Shuby Dooby Doo looking for clues that she hid throughout oh. the books. Like it could be a whole like theme song. You are obviously Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. Of course. I'm going to go ahead and say... Let's go Johnny. Johnny would be your shaggy. Sounds about right. Yeah. And then your fiance wife, you might, I don't know, you've gotten married now. Yeah. I'm at and you're like, oh, wife, there we go. <laughs> See, I'm not there in the podcast yet, so I didn't know. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, your wife would then be Velma. So that's a pretty solid. Okay. She's very smart. I dig it. Yeah. Pretty solid choice. And then whoever your guests are, they have the choice of being either a Fred or a Daphne. I like it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You get to either be damsel in distress or a person that is hell bent on splitting up the group, which usually leads to one of them getting captured. I'm going to go with Daphne because she also in later versions of the show, like the newer ones, becomes much better where like Fred has stayed the exact same. <laughs> it's even funnier though, because you might not be aware that recently I launched a podcast called Meddling Adults, where I host a game show for charity where guests compete head to head to solve mysteries from children series like Encyclopedia Brown and Scooby-Doo. We've done a bunch of Scooby-Doo episodes. Yeah, I did not know that. So there you go. It's officially canon in your world. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the fan art of you as Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Me as a as a great Dane. Here we are. <laughs> so the Billywig is where we left off. It is a 3X rating. It is a small spinning flying insect that can sting If you get stung, you get giddy and then levitate. My first thought was, this sounds pretty cool. And the book's next sentence says that a lot of people also thought this was pretty cool because people tried to get intentionally stung, but... Getting stung too much can lead to extended laughing for days at a time, which sounds terrible, and an allergic reaction can mean permanent floating, which sounds horrific. Yeah, I'm shocked that it's only a three classification because this actually sounds significantly more dangerous than a three in terms of like long-term side effects for your life. 
And like also just like the random risk of being a bystander in Australia, which granted what's not deadly in Australia. This is just another one of the many creatures to add to that list. But like, I don't want to be at risk of walking through the woods, getting stung by one of these and floating off on my hike. Definitely. The other thing that makes the rating confusing here is that it is a 3x, which is supposed to be competent wizards should cope. But the thing is, getting stung by an insect has nothing to do with how competent of a person you are. You could have Jane Goodall, the most qualified zoologist out there. I'm sure she still got stung by bees while she was in the forest doing animal research and stuff. I don't think that the level of competency of a wizard should determine whether or not you can get stung by an insect. I think it's strange and it just again shows how faulty and not descriptive and how unhelpful this rating system is. Terrible. And it's also faster, I think, than most insects. So it's not even just like your normal bee or your fly or your mosquito. It's even more like difficult to spot and prevent. Is this also what stung uh, in the Fantastic Beast movie? Uh, I can't remember the character's name, uh, the muggle. Oh, Jacob Kowalski. Yes, thank you, Jacob. Isn't this what stung Jacob uh, in the first movie? Oh, I could not tell you very much about that first movie. I've only seen it the one time. All I really remember is that Credence had a bad bowl cut. Colin Farrell turned into Johnny Depp at the end, and there were not enough Fantastic Beasts or where I could find said beasts. <laughs> I agree with all those statements. Now, I am going to be re-watching the movie very soon for episodes of the podcast, so hit me up la- later. <laughs> well, there we go. So you can either fill me in or I'm sure someone on the internet will immediately. He got stung by something, but I don't really remember. He had an allergic reaction. So like oh. potentially it was like, that's why it was such a big deal. Like this was the billywig because it was like a blue flying thing, but it didn't look like it was the wings at the front of the head spinning. Hmm. So they could have also just gotten it wrong because uh, as we've learned with the basilisk, they don't seem to care. They really don't. The only other note I have here is that at the end of the description, it says that billywigs are used as an ingredient in Fizzing Wisbies and in the Ron and Harry note version, there's a little note that says, last time I eat those. See, to me, that'd be like a Hermione note, though, because I feel like this is something <gasps> oh. that would really upset something like PETA and like that would fall more into Hermione's range of emotions. I guess it was more of just a boys thinking bugs are gross kind of deal. Ron really does hate spiders, so maybe this translates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the next creature here is the bow truckle. I have identified it in my superlatives as the most likely to be the best plant companion. It yep. has a 2x rating. It eats insects, which is cool, but it attacks those that try to disrupt its home, which naturally makes sense, but its method for doing so is gouging out the person's <laughs> eyes. Now, this little guy was the cute little green friend that Newt had on his wonderful jacket in the Fantastic Beast movie. The jacket is the true hero of the Fantastic Beast franchise. But the bow truckle man, he looks so cute and innocent, but he is just devastating. I mean, I think it's very fair to go for the eyes. When you're a smaller creature and you're trying to survive, like the best point of attack is the eyes. You take away that sensory, you're you're going to stand a much better chance of survival. So I support the bow truckle. And uh, another note about the bow truckle, what I really, really actually appreciated from Fantastic Beasts, the movie, was the relationship of that singular bow truckle and Newt. The reason why I really like this is it shows a level of intelligence that a lot of people like to deny in animals. Like it was very clear that the bow truckle was understanding of human speech, which again, shouldn't the bow truckle be able to represent itself based on the logic of this textbook mm. with wizards? Because it clearly has the level of emotional intelligence to represent itself and understand what's happening around it. It was upset when it thought that Newt was abandoning it. There was a lot going on there with this tiny little creature that kind of gets brushed over, but I think shows. There's so much about creatures that we don't understand and the importance of the work of like Newt and many of the other zoologists in the world. It's critical to like understanding them. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think you should be like Hermione and start the bow truckle defense alliance representation group. <laughs> Perfect. It just rolls off the tongue, just like Spew. <laughs> the next beast in the Fantastic Beasts book is the Bundamun. It's essentially a green fungus version of termites. It's as if mold was a creature, which is the only way to make mold worse. Make it alive. And I'm sure there's some biological definition of it being alive, but I mean, give it legs and make it an animal and mold is a lot worse. Yeah. So the illustrated book actually has these a couple pictures of them and it oh. looks kind of like a very neat circle of vomit ah. would probably be how I would just yeah exactly that's it's like green vomit 
and doesn't really give a sense of scale. So like when it says it's too large, I would love to understand like what's too large because if they are like the size of a termite, you probably aren't going to notice them like ever where like if we're talking, they get up the size of like, you know, a soccer ball. That's horrifying. They're basically like little vomit spiders running around destroying your home. I am not a fan of mold on food. I unfortunately had a bad run-in with mold in college. I lived in a suite where it was a four-person suite and then a bathroom. And then on the other side of the bathroom was another four-person suite. And the people across the bathroom had a mold issue and they tore up their carpet and had them leave. But then they didn't do anything for us. We didn't leave and they didn't clean out our stuff, which in retrospect feels like a bad idea and a poorly made decision by my university. I'm sure there's some sort of science that backs it up. Probably not. I guess that's what happens when you live in a dorm building built in 1965 that they have barely renovated. Hooray, college. Lovely. I'm sure you won't have any lasting side effects from that. No, I'm totally fine. My lungs are probably totally chill. Everything's great. And uh, I definitely got my money's worth for how fucking expensive housing was (laughs) at Rice University. (laughs) Specifically that dorm I was in, I was the vice president of my residential college and we lobbied so freaking hard to tear that building down and they just simply refuse to do so. So is it still there and there might be the same mold (sighs) like slowly creeping and murdering other young students? So we tried really hard to lobby for them to get rid of the whole building. The only consolation that they gave us is that they renovated the bathrooms in that dorm building and then they gave us new air conditioning units. That was not enough, but I think they are tearing the building down finally, but uh, I don't know what the plans are now with COVID shakeups and all of that, but... Yeah, we tried hard and we laid down all these reasons. Multiple individual rooms had mold issues and they were like, no, come on, you're kids, you'll be fine. (laughs) That's so terrible. But again, like, I'm not surprised. I think that's just the trend with all universities is like, we want your money, but not your well-being. No, not at all. And then also we'll call you all of the time after you graduate, be like, could you please give us more money? Well, how else are they going to tear it down and rebuild a new one? (laughs) That's what you should have done originally is you should have just started a GoFundMe and just did it yourself. Ah. Ah, that could have, you know, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> so the next creature is the centaur. The centaur has a 4X rating. The book clarifies that this 4X rating isn't because of danger. It's because it should be treated with respect, much like people and unicorns. Uh, we didn't really learn anything new about centaurs from this book that we didn't already know about Harry Potter. I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to talk about, but it seems pretty much like a recap of stuff we already know. Well, so the only thing that really irks me about this is it was, yeah, mundane information, whatever, the whole thing. But that little little side piece about, oh, yeah, but they're four because you have to respect them. It's like, do you not respect other living creatures? <laughs> so should a dog be a four because you should respect your dog? Because if you don't respect your pets, they will probably bite you. Well, your dog can't talk, so it's not worthy of respect, apparently. Oh, got it. Yeah, I was going to say, because, you know, I have a cat and my uh, my toddler loves to poke the cat in the face and the cat bites him. And I'm like, well, you deserve it. You're not respecting it. But should my cat be a four? No. Again, this is just why the system makes no sense. If the one to five X's are about how dangerous something is, but now also four X's deserves respect, it's just, it's very strange. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Like, if you don't respect them, they might carry you off into the woods and do who who knows knows what. what. No comments from JK on what really happened there. Then I guess maybe, but still ridiculous. Truly. So the next one is the Chimera, which is a 5X rating just straight up. It has a lion's head, a goat's body, and a dragon's tail, which basically makes it the souped up version of the Jersey Devil, which is a lore I am very familiar with as someone that grew up in New Jersey. So this is just scarier Jersey Devil, which is uh, pretty terrifying for me. It has only been slain once, and the guy who did this died afterwards anyway because his flying beast he was on just got exhausted and he fell to his death. The book also mentions chimera eggs are very rare. And then there's a little Ron slash Harry note in the original version that says, so Hagrid will be getting so many time now. <laughs> exactly. The Hagrid disses are great. I love them. It's perfect. And so what, what confuses me about this is the chimera has been killed once. It lays eggs. We have no information of how often it reproduces, how quickly these eggs hatch, how quickly they reach adulthood. Because it sounds like since they're unkillable, like this could become horrifying. Like you go to a location, there could be like 20 or 30 of these around. Or is it something that they like constantly like just kill each other? And that's the only way they actually die is by 
fighting. It's one of the few scary beasts that the book doesn't explicitly state, hey, these guys love to eat humans. So maybe it's not a concern because of that. They're vicious and bloodthirsty, though. Those two words are used. Mm, mm, but not for humans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's fine because it's just muggles probably that it goes after. Oh, you know, yeah, we, yeah. Can, we can spare plenty of those. Nah, come on. They're a dime a dozen. One thing about the illustrated version is that it's actually a black and white kind of drawing and it's pretty cool mm. with just these violently red sorry not purple <laughs> flames spouting from its mouth but like a very casual expression on the face like i just you know Ooh. like did it just burp and like that's the flames come out when it burps too because it doesn't look like it's trying to be hostile it's always the most intimidating it's like when dame lillard makes a game-winning shot and then doesn't really celebrate too intensely it's always terrifying when someone does something incredibly impressive or dangerous or both and then has no reaction afterwards i feel the same way but about steph curry oh yeah oh yeah steph curry man i need him to come back in the nba i miss him so much i do too i'm a warrior fan oh nice. so obviously there's that extra level of love but i'm a knicks fan so uh i don't know what love is <laughs> <laughs> so the next beast is the chiz purple which i've identified as the most likely to be the result of jk rowling losing a bet because chiz purple really this is the name we're going with it's not necessarily the most exciting creature it's a 2x rating and it's basically just magical termites they infest homes and destroy things. That's about it. The, the picture of them, it's a crab. They drew a <laughs> crab and they put these two little red fangs on the front of the crab to differentiate it somehow. But it is otherwise just straight up a crab. What I'm curious about is like, they talk about messing with electricity, doing things like that. Do wizards use electricity? Hmm. They don't use technology. I feel like they at least use electricity domestically. Like the Weasley's home doesn't have a bunch of candles everywhere. I know they use torches, literal torches, not the British word for flashlight in Hogwarts. But maybe that's just because Hogwarts is a castle. But I feel like they have to use some sort of electricity. The Ministry of Magic. Oh, yeah, they do. Because the, uh, the very racist looking goblin elves have little banker lamps don't they but those could still be flames they could potentially oh. be like some sort of magical flame that continues to burn and releases that one snake we talked about earlier last week that mm. you know lays eggs and burns the ministry down but yeah i don't recall specifically electricity being used in the books or the movies so i'm curious if that's like just something that muggles have to deal with or is that also like an additional issue for wizards. I feel like it's the classic JK, I'm not going to mention it, so I'll let you try to figure it out deal, because it's not really said either way. The closest we get to that is them saying explicitly that electronics don't work in Hogwarts, but again, that could be just a Hogwarts thing. Yeah, which is a shame, because I feel like, you know, the automatic flushing toilets would have been a great addition to the entrance to the chamber. Would have been huge. Would have been huge. So the next beast is the Clabbert. This has a 2x rating. It is the cross between a monkey and a frog, which is both terrifying, but also absolutely nothing. The book says instead of fur, it has the sliminess of a frog and it has webbed toes, but I don't know. I just, uh, it's I mm, not not a fun <laughs> visual. What did the drawing look like? The, I was going to say, it's actually one of the creepiest of all the ones in the book. I would describe it to look almost kind of like the Grinch. Oh, okay. With <laughs> webbed feet. And a really, really long tail, and then just a little bit of an extended snout. So instead of a Grinch that is metaphorically slimy, we now have a literal slimy Grinch. <laughs> yeah, with a long tail and webbed feet and like a creep. Well, I guess the creepy smile is already there, so that, that can yeah, stay. Yeah, yeah, The book also says it has a large pustule in its forehead that turns red when it's in danger, which I do not like. Yeah, which that was actually my next note. Just speaking from an evolutionary standpoint, why would it have something that lights up to notify of danger. Like if it's on its forehead, is it going to see the light? And like, unless it's nighttime, in which case it's then a hazard because it's basically a spotlight. Hey, danger, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. <laughs> You're sorry. That makes no sense at all. It actively hurts instead of helps. And it's like, there are species like talking real animals like that are specifically brightly colored because they use that as a way to like intimidate predators and try to get them to leave. But a flashing red light to warn when they're nearby, not when they're like approached or attacked, just to warn when they're nearby just seems like a really good way to get killed. A clabbert would be the worst companion to have in a horror movie. You're hiding <laughs> from Michael Myers. He gets closer and then all of a sudden bright red light. <laughs> hey, but at least you'd know the moment before you die. Is that a positive? I don't think so. Ignorance is bliss, but certainty in death is comfort. <laughs> 
That sounds right. I think I've read that somewhere. Mm -hmm. The most wild thing about this description, though, is not the red forehead. It's not the cross of a frog and a monkey. It's the fact that, at least in my edition, the word orangutan is hyphenated. That is not hyphenated in my version. I would hope so, because that's clearly wrong. (laughs) But in mine, (laughs) the newer version, it is orang hyphen U-T-A-N. Which that's completely nonsensical. It's an orang utan. <laughs> the only thing I could see is that somehow it was one of those things where it went on to the next line and they hyphenated it in that way because the book, this one is justified. And then maybe it wasn't an automatic formatting thing. They had to manually do it and then they added or removed some words and then it got stuck. But yeah, orang utan. <laughs> that's so perfect. And that actually makes me think too. It's talking about swinging between branches with the agility of an orangutan. Of all the species of monkeys and apes, orangutans are not known for their speed or swiftness. They are so casual. Oh, you're telling me J.K. Rowling wrote about something that she didn't know about? Whoa. <laughs> there are so many better options. Like just like even go with like a chimpanzee. Like if you want to stay like somewhere in the similar realm, like an orangutan is just like the sloth of the apes. Isn't there a monkey called a flying monkey? I feel like that's a really low-hanging fruit to pick. There are flying squirrels. I don't know about flying monkey. Flying monkey. We can, to Google. Let's see. Oh. There are flying monkey genes. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, apparently, it is a psychology term. It's a synonym for narcissist, which... <laughs> which would have been great for JK. <laughs> she was the true flying monkey all along. So the next creature is the Krupp. It's a triple X rating. My superlative for this was the most likely to be the only magical creature that matters because it's a magical Jack Russell Terrier, which in my opinion is one of the best dogs that exists. The Krupp is a Jack Russell Terrier that has a forked tail, which needs to be removed at six to eight weeks to disguise it from muggles. Now here's where it gets uncomfortable for me. Before we get to that uncomfortable part, I want to talk about the removal of the tail at six to eight weeks. That's what my uncomfortable thing is about because it feels ridiculous. Okay, so we're probably on the same page here. It's like, you're a wizard. You have the ability to use disillusionment. Yes, And that's something that is constantly used for other creatures. It's ridiculous. And the whole thing, it is a legal obligation. There are many creatures that it says that wizards have to have licenses to have as pets, and this is one of them. It's a legal obligation for Krupp owners to remove this, to disguise it from muggles. But you're supposed to disguise your whole self from muggles. I feel like it shouldn't be that hard to disguise your magical dog as well. Right, especially when it's just a forked tail. Yeah. Well, I guess just a forked tail when you're talking about the physical description, because apparently Krupps, as I think you would put it, are racist. They hate muggles. Mm -hmm. I guess that is a reason of why they would want to keep it away from muggles, but I don't understand why you have to get rid of the tail. It seems very silly. I'm not well-versed in animal care and stuff, but I feel like this sort of mutilation is not good. It feels like cat declawing, which I also know is not a good thing. So there are actually a few breeds of dogs that that is the norm to remove their tail. Um, And is it dogs or cats? I can't remember. Either way, I'm not a fan of removal of any anything from an animal when you're owning it as a pet. And I say that as somebody that unfortunately declawed their cat because when I got my cat 14 years ago, did not fully understand what was happening. From my understanding, it was a back then we didn't realize how bad it was. And now, holy crap, how did we not realize that this was bad situation? I feel like a lot of my friends who have very old cats, that's a situation where I don't think I know of anyone who has a new cat that they've gotten declawed. So society getting better. Yeah. Well, that's why I also think it's it's all the terminology, right? Like I'd love to read some sort of thesis or paper about like, who came up with the term declawing? Because that's not what's happening. They're denuckling the cat. Oh! Yes, that's why it's so bad, is that they're actually removing the last piece of your finger, that last knuckle, and cutting it off there. So it's not actually declawing. I mean, yeah, the claw gets removed, but it's actually removing a knuckle, like, up to that point. So a denuckling would actually be a more accurate term for the process. If they called it that, I bet way less people would have done it, because that sounds so much worse. Exactly. So what corporation was like, hey, here's a way we can get some money And like profit off of selling cats, but make it sound okay. I guess Big Pharma, specifically the shitty vet division? (laughs) 100% a thing. But the other thing is that you have to have a licensing test to have a crop. And this is because of the whole they're very vicious towards muggle situation. But yeah, I just couldn't get over removing the tail. It just felt so unnecessary. Super, super unnecessary. And And I'm still hung up on like the fact that the dog has to hate muggles. Why does it hate muggles? Yeah. Is it because muggles don't have magic? Like, what would happen if it came across Hermione, who ended up being magical, but before she realized it, like, where's the threshold where it would attack Hermione as a child versus that? Do Krups just know from birth? Like, gives it a little sniff. 
And it's like, oh, yeah, 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 magical. We're good. Yeah, I don't know. It was something that sounded like such a cute, wonderful dog at the start. And then you learn about the mutilation and then about the dog being maybe racist and then not great. So, yeah, I should probably retract that thing that only matters. Maybe it should be like surface level, cool, <laughs> dig deeper. Oh, no. Yeah. It's a pretty picture, but let's not think about it. There it is. I agree, Caleb. Let's not think about it. Hey, it's me editing, Mike. Instead of thinking about it, let's take a little bit of a break for Wingardium Adriosa. Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by Shaker and Spoon. Let's say hypothetically that you are a Hogwarts student and you're looking to throw some sort of party, but you can't go all the way to Hogsmeade. You want to still have it in the dorms, but you don't want to leave. You want to host this party at home. What's a way that you could do this? You could use Shaker and Spoon. Shaker and Spoon is a delivery service that sends you all of the ingredients and instructions to make various fancy cocktails. All you need to do is provide the booze, they provide everything else, and they provide you with enough to make four servings of three different drinks that all use the same liquor. I've done a bunch of boxes with Shaker and Spoon. They've all been fantastic. I've done it with whiskey. I've done it with tequila. I've done it with rum. Really good stuff, affordable stuff, and especially affordable if you go to shakerandspoon.com wizardon because you will get $20 off your first box. These boxes usually go between $40 and $50. So that's about half price. That's a lot of savings. So go to shakerandspoon.com slash wizard on and you can make some fancy drinks for your friends and everyone will think you are a very impressive human being today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally. So if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are, so it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club, and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to ArenaClub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is for Bucks right there. Wow. Anyways, that's a real club.com slash Potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So if you collect some cards off of open some packs in a more transparent way, whether you're a sports nerd or Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. So let's move on now to the Demi Guys, which has a 4X rating. This was, I think, the most confusing about why it was a 4X rating, because it's peaceful, it's an herbivore, it can make itself invisible, and its pelts are used in invisibility cloaks. We have had mentions of using demiguys for them throughout the books. It's in Cursed Child. 4X, this thing doesn't seem dangerous. I guess it's only 4X if you're trying specifically to capture it and then use its pelts for cloaks. But it's peaceful, it's an herbivore, and it just makes itself disappear and turn invisible in danger. Why is this 4X? And so, like, it that makes absolutely no sense. Because, again, like, the Demiguise is also in Fantastic Beasts, the movie, and it's a literal 
caretaker for an actual dangerous creature. It very much has a uh, maternal or paternal instinct. Looks like an orangutan in the illustrated version, which are also like known to be very like friendly creatures. Like of all the creatures in this book that we've kind of gone over, this is probably one of the ones I'd actually trust around my toddler and like not fear for my toddler's life. Uh, yeah, I, the rating system, so strange. The next creature is the Deerical, which is a 2X rating. It is a plump bird that pretty much has the powers of Nightcrawler from X-Men where it can teleport in a puff of feathers and then reappear. What's fun about this is that the book retcons this to saying, this is what we muggles call dodos. And muggles are just too stupid to realize that they're not actually extinct. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm a big fan of that description of it being like, oh, ha, 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 it's a dodo. What I pictured when I was reading through the description, ignoring the dodo was uh, the burden up. Oh, Kevin. If the burden up I could teleport. Kevin. Yeah, Kevin, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I think of Kevin. That's what I imagine. Like somehow there's a crossover in Harry Potter and uh, Pixar, and this is actually where that bird came from, and that world they were at was actually some magical forest. I like it. Yeah, why not, right? Kevin is actually a dirty call. I dig it, and also they thought Kevin was a breed that was extinct or fictional or something. I need to rewatch up, clearly. But yeah, I think it could hold true. Perfect, nailed it. Boom, let's move on. Now we have the Doxy, which is also known as the Biting Fairy. This has a triple X rating. It can lay up to 500 eggs at once, which is terrifying, but also makes sense given how many there seem to be, especially in that Gilderoy Lockhart scene. But speaking of that Gilderoy Lockhart scene. Wait, were those doxies or were those pixies? Oh, uh, were they do Ooh, were they pixies? Oh, we gotta look gotta it up. Google. Gilderoy Lockhart pixies? I think it's pixies. Okay, that makes way more sense. As I say, because like, doxies are actually pretty dangerous where like pixies are annoying. Okay, hoof. Because my note, the book says, Doxies have sharp teeth that are venomous and you need an antidote if you get bitten by one. So I thought, what? <laughs> so that makes me feel a little bit better. So like if you were grading Gilroy as a teacher, he went from being like an F to a D minus because at least he didn't actually truly endanger them too bad. Yeah, I guess so. Well, in that scene. That works. Yeah, take your take your D minus, Gildy. You can maybe graduate with that. <laughs> uh, what, one note I had about Doxies, an antidote should be taken if bitten. What's the antidote? <laughs> this is a textbook. That's very, that's a very good observation. It's like, imagine like getting bit by a doxy, being like, it's okay, I have a book for this. And like scrolling through doxy, 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 there it is. Well, I'd need an antidote. <laughs> oh. It would be like, and I'm not well versed in snakes, but I know that for some of them, you're supposed to suck out the venom. It would be like if a book that had info about snakes <laughs> just said, oh, if you get the venom in you, that's bad. <laughs> And they just don't clarify. You got to suck it out or whatever you're supposed to do. Yeah. Although I will clarify, don't suck out venom. Oh, if you don't. ever get bit by a venomous snake, don't do that. Oh, why not? Is it just you're already screwed at that point? Or is it worse because it can get into your mouth bloodstream? I mean, yeah, it's I mean, it's not good to be consuming venom as it is. And there are other ways to like restrict blood flow, which will help prevent the movement of the venom throughout your body. So like restricting blood flow is way more important. So like take your belt and tighten it up on your calf or something if you get bit on the ankle? Yeah, but like in general, you know, if you're in an area where there's venomous snakes, you should probably just be aware of the types and understand like what you need to do if you get bit by one. In most cases, you want to go to the ER. And I would say by most, like 99% of snakes that bite you that are venomous, go to the ER. All right, good. Learning things. Hooray. So the next section is a chunky one because it's dragons. Woo. Now, dragons are given just a 5X across the board rating. I did find it strange that they didn't rate each of the individual dragons, but I guess they're all pretty dangerous, so it makes sense. But the book identifies 10 different breeds of dragons, the first of which is the Antipodean opali. This is the second time I have learned the word Antipodean because they've mentioned it in two of the three Harry Potter spinoff books. And it's one of those words where I'd never heard it before. And then I've definitely heard it like 10 times since I read Quidditch Through the Ages. <laughs> so the dragon has iridescent pearly scales and a glittering multicolored pupilless eye, which is very pretty. I guess that's why it's called the opali. It produces a vivid scarlet flame, and it is not particularly aggressive, but it loves to eat sheep, and it's known to eat kangaroos because Australia. 
<laughs> I mean, what else can it eat, right? It's either that or koala bees or wallabies or dingoes or shrimp on the Barbie. <laughs> and that's it. And now every Australian listener has turned off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, past Mike, why would you anger so many listeners in just four seconds of audio? Hey, everyone, it's me editing. Mike, how's it going? So first, I want to point out that past Mike did, in fact, say koala bees instead of koalas. That's very fun. But also, I do want to apologize on past Mike's behalf about the food portion, because the food stuff that he just said was absolutely ridiculous. And the most ridiculous thing is that he didn't include the quintessential staple of Australian cuisine. And that, of course, is the Bloomin' Onion. And I'm very sorry that Past Mike didn't say that. So I wanted to use this time to apologize and make sure that I let it be known that the Bloomin' Onion from Outback Steakhouse is, of course, the most authentic Australian food that exists. Anyway, back to the podcast. This is uh, one of my favorite uh, illustrations in the book. Uh, I just think it's a beautiful looking dragon. It's this beautiful white color, but like with really good like blue shadings. Ooh. It does make me think in like a scar the scarlet flame coming out as it flies over a bunch of hopping kangaroos. Like it's pretty cool. But what it makes me think of is two things. Like one, albino, like albino animals, right? Like kind of got that vibe. But then it reminded me of one of your rants talking about the Malfoy peacock. Oh, yeah. The just how that is the most racist pet to own. <laughs> <laughs> but it has but you, to be. <laughs> So you brought up, though, it's like, why would they have that? Like, it feels like taking away the color of a peacock, like, takes away the value or, like, the coolness of it. But in the animal world, albinos are extremely rare. Uh, so really what's happening is that, like, that's, like, f really, like, having a peacock is cool. But, like, having an albino peacock, like, that's wealth. Mm, it's like, that's, like, a show a of wealth. Symbol. If you have, like, albino exotic pets, like, that is, like. Those are the premium priced um, exotic animals. Uh, I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm also now realizing, and this happened, that rant was before I bought a pair of Russell Westbrook's Why Not 0.2 shoes, where if you know Russell Westbrook or those shoes, every iteration of them come in ridiculous, wacky designs with all these different patterns and multicolors and textures and stuff like that. The pair that I own has all different textures on it, but it's all monochrome light pink, which I think is really cool because it's this incredibly hectic looking shoe, but then all of the colors are uniform throughout. So maybe that's the same kind of vibe with the peacock is normally in every other iteration, the peacock has all these wild colors all over the place. So it's that much cooler when you have the one that is just a solid color. Yep. I get it. I still think it's kind of racist, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm with you there. It's at least it's at least something I could very much see why a rich racist person would get it. Because, ah, yes, got to show wealth status. What can I do? The thing that is normally colored, I've got it in the all white edition. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So the next dragon is the Chinese Fireball, which has the nickname of Lion Dragon, which is dope as hell. And it says in the book, it says, quote, the only Oriental dragon. And I just, haven't we given up on the word Oriental? Or have we just given up on calling people Oriental? Yeah, I actually, I was really uncomfortable reading that. But then I realized, like, in my own personal development and understanding, you know, other races and other regions and everything else, like, I don't actually have good knowledge on that term and like how acceptable it really is. Uh, so, but I, I personally was uncomfortable reading those first three words of the only Oriental. It seems interesting versus saying the only Asian because Asia is, you know, a continent and that would still hold up. Here's what we'll do, which is what us white people should do in these situations. I'm going to reach out to someone with experience and get back to you on it, and I will edit it into this episode. Hey, it's me, Editing Mike, with an important update about the use of the word Oriental. A combination of Googling, reading articles, and talking to my buddy Chris Chan arrived me at the conclusion that the word isn't necessarily the most offensive. It is just very outdated, and it's mainly offensive just because the way it was used. The people that used it and the way that those people used it earlier in the 1900s made it to be a term that is viewed at uncomfortably now, today, in 2020. Technically, what Oriental is trying to refer to is things from the Far East, but another problem with the use of the word Oriental is that it isn't specific at all, and to different people means different things. So that's part of the problem is that it just kind of smushes a bunch of cultures together and goes, Oriental, so it's not accurate. So you probably just shouldn't use the word, not that it's necessarily an offensive term or a racial slur, but it's something that has bad connotations based on its usage, and it's just not specific. So you're better off using a more specific term about a particular region and not saying it. Now, J.K. Rowling published this book in 2001, so the combination of that plus being in the United Kingdom plus J.K. being J.K., I don't think she had any ill intent, but for all of you, going forward, just don't 
use it. It's not the worst word out there, but you probably should just avoid it and say something else. This has been Editing Mike Figures Out If Stuff Is Offensive or Not. Anyway, back to the podcast. Thank you, Editing Mike and Editing Mike's friend for teaching us about this. Hooray! But going on with the Chinese fireball, it says that its scales are smooth and scarlet, and it also has golden spikes on it, and it prefers to eat pigs and humans. Perfect. What a combo. <laughs> this happens especially in the dragon section, but throughout the book where it'll say that the diet of these magical creatures includes sheep and goats and humans, just very nonchalantly. Super casual. It's fine. But is it is it wizards? Or is it muggles? Like, does it have a preference? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like the ultimate question. We have specification for other species. So, like, why don't we know which one the dragons prefer? And uh, speaking specifically of this one, this is actually the dragon that Victor Crumb faced in the uh, fourth book. Right, right. The the illustration of it because it's described kind of as a lion dragon. Not what I would personally use, although it does have kind of like what looks like a mane. I would call it more like a salamander dragon, Ooh. like with the body shape. And the arms, like it looks like it'd be really, really good at scurrying. Mm. So maybe salamanders wrong. Salamanders are not very agile. Lizard dragon, nailed it. I am realizing now that if you just put any other animal name in front of dragon, it sounds cool. <laughs> Dolphin dragon. Pig dragon. <laughs> Shark dragon. Duckbilled platypus dragon. Gecko dragon. Mosquito. Mosquito dragon. Fuck, mosquito dragon? That's the worst. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, God. <laughs> Here's a question, though. Would it be... Mosquitoes the size of dragons or dragons the skies of mosquitoes? Like, what's more terrifying? Like, so you're like at the park and getting attacked by a bunch of mini dragons. <laughs> I think because dragon comes second, mosquito is the adjective. So unfortunately, I am imagining either a mosquito the size of a dragon or a dragon with one of those really long nose things, whatever the technical term is that sucks blood. Both horrifying. So it just like would fly down and just like puncture dozens of people mm -hmm, at once mm -hmm, and just mm -hmm. like be a, oh, yep. yeah, no that's thanks. the worst. I'll pass. Uh, okay, now that we have nightmares, let's move on to the Herbidian Black Dragon, which has rough scales, brilliant purple eyes, not violent purple eyes, which made me sad, and it has razor sharp ridges on its back. It has bat-like wings and an arrow-shaped tail, which makes this just the goth dragon. Are you at all disappointed in this description that the one time it actually makes a ton of sense to use violently purple, they don't do it. It was very disappointing. I was upset that we've got what seems to be the scariest dragon, or at least the most intimidating looking, most horror inducing. And it felt like this was ripe for violently purple. Yeah, maybe it was just one of those things like this is too horrifying. <laughs> and if we go with the truth that like their gaze is so violently purple that you would die upon just looking brilliant purple so like maybe you could be seduced briefly before it eats you the only thing that i could see making sense here is that brilliant is something they use a lot in this book and i know brilliant can be used as like a technical term for colors of stuff like a brilliant blue flame and stuff like that yep so maybe it was just that but yeah in my head canon it's violent purple obviously and murderous oh of course <laughs> So the next dragon is the common Welsh green. So this is the least troublesome dragon. I like that the book used the least troublesome. It preys on sheep and it has a melodious roar. So this just feels like a chill dragon, I guess. I think it's the only one that doesn't specifically call out that it eats humans. Yeah. I could be wrong on that, but it's also the one that Fleur Delacour faced in the fourth book. And I think that goes into... The mentioning, I think you, you've talked about this on the podcast a lot, how Fleur's character like comes in with this big introduction and is supposed to be this really great person, but like kind of just did terrible yeah. at the event. It's just so disappointing. She came in with such energy and I'm now just watching the West Wing for the first time. And from the West Wing Weekly, I know there's a term called Mandyville where Mandy season one comes in super hot. You think she's going to be very important and then is not in any season starting with season two. Yep. And see, that sounds a lot like Fleur minus the fact that she kind of, you know, she shows up to be a wife, which is horrible horrible to do and she also was given the easiest dragon like i feel like jk missed a really easy opportunity to just switch which dragon is which and like just give fleur more of a challenge so we can like back and be like well you know she didn't do great in the other challenges but she took on the most difficult dragon yeah maybe this was just jk being a british person and trying to hate on the french because i do know from experience that british people love to make fun of french people and vice versa so maybe it was just an elaborate way for jk rowling to dunk on the french but doesn't feel great that the only woman competitor just really didn't do well. And then now we're learning that her dragon was easy street. Maybe it should have been flipped where we had Victoria Crumb and Frank Delacour. Frank. <laughs> Frank Delacour. <laughs> I was like, what's a F French name? 
I, I got nothing. Francois de la Cour, that'd be great. Perfect. Oh man, yeah, nailed it. Okay, like that's that's perfect, Francois. And it'd be funnier to have an incompetent French boy that was all prim and proper. I would have loved it. Yeah, but then you know that would have ruined everything with the wedding. Like, yeah, would Francois ended up hitting on Hermione instead of Victor? And like Victoria ends up marrying into the Weasley family. Hey, oh no. Oh, we've 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 sucked ourselves into an alternate dimension. <laughs> Maybe just don't make Fleur incompetent and then just don't turn her into a mom. Come on, JK. <sighs> That's just way too much to ask, okay? <laughs> she only has so much creative freedom with these books. The bar is already on the floor. We can't put it below the floor. <laughs> she only has so much creative freedom. It's so good. Uh, so now we have the Hungarian Horntail, which is identified as the most dangerous. And the note, which had to come from Harry, says, you're not kidding, because this is the one that Harry faced, right? Correct. That is the one that Harry faced. It's the most dangerous. It eats humans, quote, whenever possible. I had that in my notes in all caps, whenever possible. <laughs> Terrifying. And it also has a 50 foot fire breathing range. Ah! I think people don't really understand like 50 feet how much distance that really is and how terrifying that would be to have to be that far away from a dragon to be outside of its reach. Granted, I guess it just would run up at Scoopy too, but also whenever possible. That's horrifying. So if there's a hundred sheep, there's a hundred sheep just chilling, minding their own business, wide open in a field, the person herding the sheep sees the dragon coming, goes into a cave. Does the Hungarian horntail ignore the sheep and just try to get into that cave? Whenever possible, can get a human. No, thanks. <laughs> This book makes me think humans must taste really good. I've never had human, but we gotta be absolutely delicious. I feel if that was actually true, there'd be a lot more cannibals. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I but, mean, you know, I don't ever right intend seasoning. to find out. <laughs> I just, I feel like I'm not well-versed in animals, as I've said multiple times here, but I feel like we're very muscly and bony creatures I don't think we would taste very good, but apparently big old bad creatures just love to eat us up. What feels the most strange about the fact that in this book, they pretty much only say that the things that these creatures like to eat are small fish, goats, sheep, and humans. Why are none of these magical creatures eating each other? Why is there no food chain of magical creatures? I think that'd be really interesting if you set up somewhat of a rivalry. You know, what if one of the dragons is a cannibal? And what if the Hungarian Horntail loves to eat the Peruvian Viper Tooth? That could be interesting. I feel like there's a missed opportunity here. And they hunt each other. That'd be so that'd be too hard to regulate. Okay, if you're the if your mom, you're out there <laughs> trying mom, to regulate. Mom took me a second. <laughs> <laughs> you're out there trying to regulate all these creatures. Make sure that humans aren't seeing them. Imagine a Hungarian horntail going at it with a Norwegian Ridgeback. Like, how hard would that be to hide? Like, the thunderous collisions, the roaring, like, there's not enough space. Like, the UK isn't very big. There are only so many dragons you can hide. Yeah. But I definitely think they should be eating some of those smaller creatures. Like, why aren't they eating house elves? Are house elves just too crafty and too small? Like, they can just pop away too quick? Like, it's just not feasible for them? I don't know. House elves have some really powerful magic. But yeah, if at least some of the beasts, some of the big scary ones hated each other, we could get into an alien versus predator situation where you can make a very disappointing film. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole nother, nother plan to this book. Like pit different ones against each other and we can have a simulated fight. We just need somebody who's really smart to make that happen. Now, the Fantastic Beasts film franchise, if it even continues past the third one, the door is open for the fourth one to be Alien vs. Predator style, <laughs> where it could just be, you know, Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. Who's to say? Oh and like Newt's actually low-key been training <gasps> his Kelpie Hall for battle. Pacific Rim battles with <laughs> giant Fantastic Beasts. This is the best fourth movie ever and like Grindelwald's not even in it so we don't even have to see Johnny Depp fire JK Rowling hire me I will give us the Fantastic Beasts movies we deserve which is Fantastic Beasts duking it out come on directed by Michael Bay Michael Bay please add many explosions <laughs> So the next one is the Norwegian Ridgeback, which the Harry Ron Note edition has Baby Norbert written next to it. It resembles the Hungarian Horntail. It is aggressive to its own kind, which maybe it's a self-cannibal? I don't know. Uh, it says it feeds on water-dwelling creatures, which is interesting since most of the other ones just kind of eat farm animals. Well, it's also counterproductive. You're a fire beast. Water's not great for you. So like that's almost as horrifying as hunting humans whenever possible. 
It's like it's not even afraid of its greatest weakness. <laughs> I guess it's kind of like the dragon version of a bird that likes to eat fish, like a pelican, where it kind of flies down, scoops something up, and then nom, nom, nom. Could be. There was a report in 1802 that a Norwegian Ridgeback just grabbed a whale out of the water and ate it, which is incredible. Love that. And then the other note is that it says it starts to breathe fire at a much younger age than other dragons. I also like that it added the note that I think it the female dragons are larger than the males. I think it was in this section specifically. So like, so the Hungarian Horntail, most dangerous, hairy fights. Second most dangerous, Norwegian Ridgeback. We specifically get Hagrid with the second most dangerous of the dragons, and the female to boot, because we later find out that Norbert is actually Norberta. Why do they both have to face the most dangerous? Like, why couldn't he have just gotten a Welshie and it been like much cuter? And it still could have been chaotic, because let's be real, he has a dragon. But like, maybe not one that is so aggressive. Poor Hagrid. Look, we all know Hagrid loves to live on the edge. He's got a motorcycle and he eats dragon meat. So, you know, this guy is just living on edge. But like, do you think for Coral, who, you know, got the egg in the first place and, and got it over to Hagrid... Do you think Coral was like, I specifically want a Norwegian Ridgeback egg? Maybe. Was it like first available? Like, did he and Voldy have like a whole conversation on the side with each other? Like he's looking in the back of a mirror, like Voldemort, like <laughs> what's the best one? Like, where should I go? And like, they're bickering back and forth and the level of danger they need to present. And like, I could see them like coming out. Well, this breed specifically breathes fire the soonest. So we know mm-hmm. that's going to cause the most chaos. Maybe they opened up their copy of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them by Newt's Commander and then complained about the same things we're bringing up. This rating system makes no sense. <laughs> Why aren't any of the individual dragons rated? <laughs> so the next dragon is the Peruvian Viper Tooth, which I identified as most likely to have a kid right away in my superlatives because <laughs> they breed like rabbits. It got so bad that wizards had to exterminate a bunch because there were just too many of them. They eat goats and cows, but they do also love to eat humans. They are the smallest though, which kind of helps. And they're copper colored with black ridge markings. Yeah, I like that the smallest is a mere 15 feet. You know, just a basketball hoop and a half. Yeah, it's just so cute, so cuddly. It's just a mere 15 feet. Like, it's fine. It's coming at me. I think it just wants a hug. <laughs> oh, it's venomous. Oh, uh, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, that's great. So like, even if you just like get nicked by it, it's like, well, what's, what's the cause? Like, does it eat you? Does it just <laughs> bite you and let you die? Like, what if it's like you have a relationship with this Peruvian viper tooth you have it as a pet because you're Hagrid and it just like passive aggressively like does that like gives you a little bite do you die do you go to the hospital we don't actually know how venomous they are is that what kills things when they're attacking and like do they wait for them to die and then consume them there's a lot left on the table with this dragon there's a lot left on the table with this book (laughs) so the next dragon is the Romanian longhorn it has dark green scales and golden horns it's low in numbers Then there's the Swedish short snout, which is silvery blue. It has a very strong blue flame. It has fewer human killings, which now makes it one of my favorite dragons. And it's the one that uh, Cedric specifically fought and looks like um, an iguana. Ooh, very fun. Yeah, it's a blue iguana. And then uh, the one note on the Romanian longhorn, the picture, it has this giant, like think think about the Texas longhorns, right? UT. It has what looks like a, a thestral on the horn, like gouged. Oh. Interesting. Just a little note about that choice. (laughs) (laughs) So the final dragon and the final thing we'll be covering in this episode is the Ukrainian Iron Belly, which is the largest. It can be up to six tons. It's gray. And in 1799, it stole a boat, which I love. So in the illustrated edition, there is four pages dedicated to this illustration to represent how large it actually is. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So it's actually like a fold out portion of the book that's actually really cool so to fully capture the size and it says it's a boat but if you look at the illustration that's not a boat that's a it's ship it's a titanic and it's a french ship of to course be specific there is an actual french flag on the ship of course and how do you hide this dragon no idea if it can take like a ship and fly away with it you you don't hide that that's impossible <laughs> I can't. I can't even with these dragons. Well, I can't even with the dragons. I can't even with this book anymore. So let's end this episode of Potterless. Caleb, thank you so much for joining on Lending Expertise. How do you feel about just as a whole, this book, thoughts, general, aside from frustrations that we very clearly <laughs> identified? I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty frustrated, 
reading the book, but looking at the pictures, feeling pretty good. A lot of great illustrations in here. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to consider checking out the illustrated version, not buying it. But I, uh, the, you made the picture sound interesting, so that could be a saving grace. But thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. These were some really fun episodes. If people want to find you doing stuff, where can they do so? Uh, you can find me on most social media at Caleb Denacor. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining. Listeners, thanks for listening. And as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, when they're running away from a dragon that's definitely going to eat them, wizard on! Hello, the holidays are fast approaching, and if you want to get some sweet, sweet Multitude merch, you can do that at multitude.production slash merch. We're going to have new Potterless stuff coming out soon, so stay tuned for all of that, but you can check out all the stuff we have for you to snag right now at multitude.production slash merch. Potterless was created by Mick Schubert, it is hosted by Mick Schubert, it is edited by Mick Schubert, it is produced by Mick Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Christine, Aaron Johnson, Klauser, Lopu, Marchismo, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfilio, Rosemary, Dodge, Marie, Lisa C. Keen, Romina Rivadinier, Audra, Eleanor Curlin, Nikita Power, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Alex Consilver, John Cocker, Noel Basile, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer Mark, Lou Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Zena Resnowski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia, Nikki Harris, Kine, Amanda Alford, Kafir Shaltiel, Sarah Shetter, Marta Morrison, Maya, Flor Saka, Georgia Davis, Sky Lily, Adele Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskovchova, Michael David Yordi, Kelly Otilio, Kerry Crumpler, Connie Binkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Marco Cepeda, Marie Rieger, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Fail on the Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Heather Langeal, Kevin Stewart, Laurie McDonald, Jarl Sviven, Peter McGrath, Jan and Rose Dab, Callahan and Deris, Leah Reed, Melissa Rab, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Becca Spry, Reese Dignan, Adam Graham, Joseph Torp, Lily's Mom, Madison, Don't Call Me an Infidora, Sabrina Balsiger, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabat, Melanie Zuhreif, Matt Barger, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey Gillespie, Rike Mang- Jensen, Taylor Payne, Megan Moon, Riley Kitas, Laurel Happy, Rossanne Batamana, Erica Butler, Miranda, Landon Schwausch, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexandra Harrison, Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Lior Nachum, Demi Lynn, Michelle Spurgeon, Calista Delano, Jennifer Terzi, and Henrique Wolf, Jeremy Elmore, Delkis, Katrina Smith, Jericho Law, Casey Canales, Megan Stempen, Zat, Jack Skitzes, Sophia Lyon, Dane Nemcher, Kirsty, Robin Garcia, Chick Parm, Mermaid and her Daddykins, Alaria Vicentin, Lori, Gregory Hughes, The Real Stan Chun, Pike, Call, Call, Mother Feathers, Nina Jazalik, Ribbon Monstrosity, Brittany Harper, Ashley Summers, your friendly neighborhood. Ravenclaw, Gavin Miller, Jack Parr, Serenity, Allen, Emily Quinlan, Haley Hastings, Sabrina Casanova, Sean Allen, Jenny Browers, Laura, Mazel Tov, Hila, Eileen Gazesh, Annette Pipitone, Kirsten R. Cunningham, Hufflepuff alumni, Brett Clausen, Hunter Gordon, Mary Price, Artemis, Trans People or People, Samantha McNamara, Nina Campley, Steamed Nuggets, and Cat Eye Potter. Web design by Kelly Schubert, and the music is by Bettina Campamanis. If you want to find us on social media, you can at facebook.com slash potterless, twitter.com slash potterless pod, instagram.com slash potterless podcast, and reddit.com slash r slash potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to potterless podcast. Com. Bonus content lives at patreon.com slash potterless and merch lives at potterlesspodcast.com slash merch. If you want to tell someone about the show, you think of someone who would like it, why don't you reach out to them and say, hey, there's this podcast. I think you would like it. It's very good. The host is very humble. Or you could talk about the show online or leave a rating and review online. All of these things help. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as I say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.